you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. I'm joined today by Rocky Romanella. Welcome to the show, Rocky. Well, thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Excellent. And Rocky, with such a unique name, I can nearly with certainty say we haven't bumped into each other before this. I was lucky enough to, to get a message from you. And yeah, I really, I really thought your history sounded interesting. So would you mind kicking off by sharing a little bit about who you are and so your background and what you love about management in general? Well, thank you, sir. Well, so um, had a 36-year career at UPS, started part-time on loading trailers, working my way through college. I actually went to college to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach. And what I recognized early on was the best leaders that I worked for or kind of observed were those individuals who could get their people to connect the dots, that could see the vision, and they could, you know, they were some of the best communicators. And so I never gave up my passion of teaching or coaching. I just changed it from a classroom, traditional classroom to a work setting. And so I always felt I got my fix of teaching and coaching through leadership and management. And uh, UPS had a promotion from within policy. So I took advantage of that and uh, learned a couple of things, very important things I learned through that process. Uh, my dad told me before he, you know, when I, before I started at UPS, two things, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you, and then learn your job and learn some more. And so as I was moving through the, the ranks at UPS, I may not have always felt ready for that next promotion, for that next move. But what I recognized is that great leaders believe in their people until they're ready to believe in themselves. And that was such an important lesson for me. So I may not have felt ready or maybe had the confidence or the skill yet, but somebody saw something in me that I may not have saw in myself and I was willing to take that chance. And so I think as you're moving through and small business owners, especially as you're starting to identify key people inside your organization, you may have to believe in those people until they're ready to believe in themselves. And so you kind of bridge that gap of confidence and knowledge. And then you get kind of to that break even point where they're feeling good about themselves. They have that knowledge, they have that confidence and you, you have that same in them. And then that's when you take a step back and you don't overmanage them at that point. That's when you let them fly, right? Because that's when you let their authority equal their responsibility. So that was an important learning lesson for me as I was growing through my time at UPS. Uh, I also uh, was fortunate to do some of the, many of the non-traditional things inside UPS. So for example, we purchased mailboxes, et cetera, and then we branded it to the UPS store. I had that as a direct report. It's 100% franchisee owned. And that was my first experience really working with individual business owners, entrepreneurs. We were 100% small business owned, entrepreneurs owned all of our stores. And I got to tell you, I got such great respect and knowledge from these small business owners. And I look at them as, you know, I could, I, I always used to say to them, I don't know if I, I don't think I could do what you're doing. I mean, I have such great respect for your desire and ability to take everything you own in life, slide it across the table and say, I'm all in. And so for me, I, I got the opportunity to work with and learn from these small business owners and they made such an impression on me. Uh, and so for me, that was such a great experience. So later on, we, we built uh, UPS supply chain solutions, was over 20 acquisitions. I had the opportunity to integrate that. And then I ran the supply chain for UPS on this side of the world. 
U.S., Latin America, South America, Canada, Mexico. Retired from UPS, 55, 36 years, was recruited to be a CEO of a telecom company. We built cell towers, upgraded cell towers, uh, sold that company, and then started my own business, 360 Management Services. So I guess you could say I, my biggest failure is retirement. I just haven't figured out how to do that properly yet. So today uh, we have three legs of our stool, 360, we keynote speaking, which I do the keynote speaking. We have leadership training, and then we have a consulting piece of business where we really work on process improvement. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. And I, I think uh, you, you mentioned a lot of interesting things, but one of the things I, I made note of was particularly around, uh, you said UPS had a policy of uh, promoting from within. Do you think that's a good policy? Yes, I think it's an, uh, it's an excellent policy. Now, there's maybe exceptions as time goes on with, with specific expertise that you may need. But I think it's, it's a great policy because it, it gives your people a vision and an opportunity. And I think that's, you know, for me, it was wonderful. And I think, you know, I tell people all the time, I, I, I was at UPS for 36 years. And as you know, in, in today's world, you just don't have those kinds of tenure anymore. But for me, I, you know, I, I thought an important lesson was the fact that I didn't agree with everything that happened at UPS. I didn't disagree enough to leave. And I think it's because my values, my ethics, how I was brought up fit inside of UPS. They never asked me to violate a policy. They never asked me to do anything illegal. So I felt like even though I didn't agree with everything or I may not have had that boss that I connected with, overall, I fit inside an organization. And I think that's what's important when people start to look for a job. I, I get the opportunity to speak with juniors and seniors in college, juniors and seniors in high school and talk about going out into that professional world. And I always tell them one of the important things is to make sure that you, who you are as a person fits in what, you know, fits inside that organization, because if it does, then it helps you through those difficult days. And so for me, I thought, you know, the promotion for moving in was very helpful for me, but it also allowed me to stay in inside an organization that I fit culturally and ethically with. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan and believer in it. I think most people that don't like there's there's always exceptions, right? Like sometimes you need an expert in something that you aren't doing, or you know, sometimes you're you're looking to add a new leg to your business and you might need someone from the outside. But but generally I'm a I'm a huge, huge advocate of of really developing your own people. Because for me what it comes down to is the fact that, you know, if you actually have a great program, if you have a good way of developing your leaders and so on, then you, you don't need to hire from outside most of the time right and i think uh, again like you get people with your dna uh, well fu the fundamental is for me that the risk of failure when you're promoting from within is significantly lower than when you're hiring from outside and i'm always so so focused on what for, for me recruitment is the objective of recruitment is to avoid failure right because hiring the wrong people is the most costly thing an organization can do, right? So focus on avoiding failure and really, uh, for, for me, hiring from within, you, you know much more what you're getting, right? That doesn't mean people always succeed, but it means they fail less. I think that's true. But, but I, I, I also think a, a, there's another significant piece of this. So I, I agree with everything you just said. And I think that it's, you know, very insightful the, the way you've articulated it. But I think the other thing it does, so think about the best plans that people make are ones that are top down, bottom up, right? Because you've got both sides of the organization working on it. 
Well, promotion from within does that same thing from succession planning. While you're out there recruiting top talent and trying to retain top talent, because of this promotion from within policy, you're also putting you know, responsibility on the leaders inside your organization to be developers of people. Because yeah. if you don't have a promotion within policy, then the next thing you know is a leader's going to, you know, to the HR saying, or, you know, you know, hey, go get me another person. This one didn't make it. Well, when you're promoting from within, now you're starting to look at one of the key elements you're evaluating your leadership team on is do they develop people? Who are those individuals that are successful because of their time with Rocky Romanello? Who are those individuals successful because of their time with so-and-so? And if you as a leader really don't have that legacy of development, well, then you start to take a step back and say, wait a second, that person isn't isn't that well-rounded leader we need. We need people who develop people and promotion from within tends to make that an important element that you're evaluating your leadership team on. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I like that, Rocky. What else sort of from your experience, if you have to sort of hone in, what, what do you feel for yourself is the single biggest reason why you became successful in, in managing other people? Like what's the, either the personality trait or the character about yourself that you feel was, was the most important for you to be successful? Well, the first is, uh, you know, I think for me, it was always that as, you know, as a person who grew up playing sports and members of a team, the biggest thing that you realized and you learned is that no one on the team is more important than anyone else on the team. And I think one of the mistakes that leaders make is they make it about themselves. You know, how many times did you work for somebody who you're sitting at a meeting and they're looking at you saying, you don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know how much pressure I'm under. And, they mer- and they're making it about themselves. And you're sitting across the table thinking, well, you wanted that promotion. You, you wanted that job. I mean, and you're getting paid more than me. So I'm not really feeling bad for you that you're under pressure. And when the leader makes it about themselves, they really lose the team. And so for me, it was never about me. It was never about, sure, you have an ego and you want to be the best that you can, but you, ne- you never let that drive you in a wrong direction. What, it, what you want is you want to be that humble leader. You want to be that servant leader. You want to be that individual who cares about the, you know, us doing it together, us being successful together. And when leaders lose that, that's kind of line of sight that it's not about them. You know, they, when they lose that and they start to realize, wow, you know, it becomes about me, then they lose the team and then people start to build these silos. So I think for me, you know, I, I was always about the team. I was always about, okay, you know what? I may be like, even when I was CEO of a company, to me, my job's, you know, my job's not more important than the individual who's meeting the customer. You know, when we were at UPS, you know, the driver's the most important person. They're, they're meeting your customer. That's the brand. The brand isn't Rocky Romanello. The brand is that individual driver who's meeting the customer and executing the brand promise. So, so, I think that's important for me. And then the second thing was always the biggest thing I knew was what I didn't know. And so I was never afraid to ask for help. I was never afraid to say, okay, I may be strong in this part of the business, but you know, I'm not really strong here. Can I help you? You know, can you help me? And, and I think that was never a sign of weakness. It was always, to me, it was a sign of confidence that I knew I didn't know those things. I needed to seek the people who could help me. And I thought that was an important, you know, skill. I didn't really realize it as I was growing, you know, uh, but, but I think as time went on, you really realized. And as a CEO, I really realized that it's important that you really understand the things that you don't know and seek the best counsel from those individuals who have that skill. Of that one. I, I, yeah, I, I 
totally get where you're coming from with that one. And I think, uh, I think from, from my experience, I mean, the, it's probably one of the biggest challenges most entrepreneurs have because many entrepreneurs is, you, you know, they're all trying to do it all themselves. And, and one is lagging the ability to, to delegate and, and bring things down to the teams. But, but really so much of the time they feel like they have to know it all. They feel like they have to be the expert at all. And that's, that's definitely holding back a lot of people. Right. So I, I love that one. And I think one of the, one of, one of the managers that have always impressed me the most um, he was, he was basically a guy, he was super firm, but exactly as you said, he knew what he knew and he knew what he didn't know. So he, even though that he was very authoritative and so on, he was very, very good at listening to people on their speciality. Yeah. yeah I, well, I think the other thing too, and I think it's interesting when, you know, I, I've in this, you know, in my new business 360, we, you know, I get to spend a lot of time with small business owners and I love it. I love it because, you know, I just love their energy and their enthusiasm. But I think one of the biggest issues that they have is, you know, and one of the things that you always want to try to prevent is don't allow your strength to become your weakness. And if you think about the strength of a small business owner, right, they're all in, nobody knows the business more than they do. Nobody's more committed to the business than they are. What's their weakness? Nobody's more all in. Nobody knows a business better than they do. And no one's more committed than they are. So their strength becomes their weakness if they're not careful. And I think that's one of the things that we all have to always prevent. Don't allow your strength, the things that make you good. I mean, I, people would always say to me, you know, what's your, what's your weakness as a leader? Well, I'll tell you what my weakness is, my strengths. I'm high energy. I'm enthusiastic. I get to the spot. What's your weakness? I'm high energy. I'm enthusiastic. I get to the spot quick. And so what ends up happening is, you know, I, I may run right past people because I'm so energetic or, oh, you know, you're telling me about a new, new situation and I, I get it. I can see it. I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. This is great. And, and I don't even allow you to finish your presentation. And so I really had to work on, well, take a deep breath. You may have gotten it, but they've spent hours putting this presentation together for you out of respect. Take the time to listen and give them the time that they deserve for the amount of energy and effort they put in for that presentation. So I learned over the course of time, don't allow my strength of getting, getting it quickly, being energetic to be that person that, that then that ends up becoming a weakness because I don't allow you to finish your sentence or I don't allow you to, to show me what you, you know, how much time and effort you put into that presentation. Oh, I like that one. I like that one. And I think like, I, I can totally relate to that one because even when I was in management, definitely one of my biggest weaknesses was uh, I, I was so amazing at, at killing um, these sort of round table discussions or, you know, brainstorming sessions, because every time people came up with a suggestion, I was, I was like, particularly in my younger years, I was so good at saying, oh no, that's not possible because X, Y, Z, that's not possible because X, Y, Z. And, you know, people got probably got to a stage where they were afraid of making suggestions because they knew I would shoot them down anyway. So instead of actually allowing brainstorming to happen and ideas to come out, I, I looking back, I can totally see how much I, I actually ended up shooting them down and really shooting down the motivation of people to contribute, which was obviously a very bad move, right? Right. Well, it's interesting. I agree with you so much that many, many years ago, and it's interesting, you know, my book is called Tighten the Lug Nuts. And in the book, the main character of the book is this gentleman named Joe Scaffone. And how Joe Scaffone was created was many years ago, I, I, would, I would be at a meeting just the way you just described it, and someone would bring me an idea. And, and I may have agreed with the idea, but, but at the end, I may say, hey, but what if you looked at this or what if you looked at that? And I always felt like when you added the but 
or you added maybe something else that, that you wanted them to look at. And look, part of what our responsibilities are as leaders and coaches and mentors is to challenge them not to stop at the first right answer. They may have gotten the first right answer, but what if you challenge them to move past that, to look at it deeper and wider? And I felt like in this desire for the right reasons to challenge this person not to move past the first right answer, I was also kind of cautioning them or to your point people would stop bringing the ideas because they're like ah, he's going to think of it on his own anyway or he's going to change it anyway and so what happened was i created this character so i would say to you hey that's a great idea but do you think joe scaffone thinks that's a good idea and we would kind of laugh and smile and the, and people would come to meetings and say to me hey i already covered this with joe joe thinks it's a good idea and i'd be like okay that's good but maybe maybe, maybe you and i can talk about it so joe scaffone allowed me this opportunity to challenge you not to stop at the first right answer or maybe add something without making you feel like, Oh, Rocky doesn't think, or man doesn't think it's a good idea. So I agree with you a hundred percent. You start to look at people's faces and realize that, you know, you're asking them to bring you ideas, but you're never really allowing those ideas to ferment or never really allowing those ideas to grow because in your desire to, help them or your desire to say, hey, I got this. This makes all the sense. You're actually closing off communication. So that's how Joe Scafone was created. My, my desire to not make them feel that way and promote want, wanting to promote them to bring me new ideas. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And I, I think for, for me personally, right, it was one of those things where I, I mean, luckily I, I had the best manager in the world at a time who, who gave me the feedback, at, at some point, but that was probably brainstorming session number 500. Um, but, but she, again, better late than never. Uh, but, but she picked up on it and like, I'm, I'm typically, I'm, I'm, I used to be very, very um, defensive about everything. Right. Because that, that's my natural behavior. But what, what happened every single time when I got feedback was that it wouldn't change the day after the week after, but it was something I would, walk around and I'll constantly think about it and I'll be like, Oh, well, what if I did this? What if I did that? And what, what happened was that a lot of time when I got feedback, my behavior would actually change like sometimes a month or two months down the line uh, when I kind of figured out my head, why it wasn't working or, you know, what to do instead and so on. But that was, that was definitely a, a, a great learning point for me because just, just as you say, right. I, I had two experiences with one was that the other, I, the other way often works just as well, meaning that just because I think I have the right decision, that doesn't mean it's the right decision, right? Like I think both as business owners and managers, if we've been, like a lot of time we've been in the business longer than the people we manage. And what very often happens is, you know, we always feel we know best, but I really, really started valuing uh, how people would, how they would actually react. And very often, even if people didn't come with the best idea, it would often get a better output if I didn't try to improve on the idea because they were so much more bought into it. So if they come up with an idea and they wanted to push it forward and I let them or, or you know, I gave them the authority to push it forward, what, what happened was that they would actually fight so much more to make it happen. And even if it wasn't delivering, they would find different ways to make it deliver. And when I started realizing that, like that really, really helped me both around delegation, but really about getting that ownership. Because just as you mentioned, I was so good at always adding that extra bit of value. And it just, it, it kills the motivation for a lot of people. 
You know, it's interesting. I, I you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm very similar w- with you in that to me, it's all about the process, right? What's the process you have and, you know, in, in, in the way you lead and the way you conduct yourself and the way you actually, you know, produce results. And so for me, the process that I kind of built over the course of time, and I talk a lot about it in the book, is this concept of balanced leadership. And for me, three key constituents must be represented in every decision, you know, customers, people, and then the shareholders and stakeholders. But then as people were bringing me ideas to, to reinforce your, your point here, you know, I added a, a, a fourth question. So for example, if you, if someone's bringing me an idea of a new product or service inside our business, and I would sit there and listen. And of course the, the person presenting uh, would, would have, you know, PowerPoint de- uh, presentation complete with all the slides on why it's the right product or how it fits in a marketplace, you know, why there's a need. And so, okay, the customer's represented. And of course the CFO, he or she's sitting there banging on a calculator with that pricing, uh, with those margins, it's a great product for us. And so I would stop at that point and say, okay, well, the customers represented or, you know, our share owner stakeholders are represented. How about our people? Do we have a training for our people? Do they understand why it's an important product? Can they handle a service disconnect? And so all three constituents were represented, but then the last question I would ask really supports what you were just talking about. I'd look at the person and say, Hey, if this was your candy store, if you were writing the check out of your checkbook, would you do it? And it's interesting, you know, 80% of the time people would be like, absolutely, I would do it. There were 20% of the time I would say when someone would say to me, no, I wouldn't do it. And I'd say, well, excuse, wait, wait a second. You want me to go do this new product and service, but you wouldn't do it? Why'd you bring it? Well, you said, you, you know, you said we got to grow our revenue. We've got to find new, new revenue streams. So I thought this would be a good one, but I wouldn't do it because of this, this, and this. Well, if you're not going to do it, if you wouldn't write the check, I'm certainly not going to do it. But every now and then I'd get one where I wouldn't do it maybe necessarily that way. But when I asked them the question, if you could write this, if you were, if you were going to do this, would you write that check out of your personal checking account to do this? And they said, yes, as long as it wasn't, you know, violating a law, breaking a policy too far outside of what we did. I said to them, okay, I'm going to go with you on this because you're that committed that you'd be right, willing to write your personal check. I'm with you on it. And that it's an amazing, this concept of acting like an owner, small business owners know it because they're all in, right? Think about a small business owner. You hit the cash register at the end of the day, door opens, you pay your people, pay your vendors. What's left is what you bring home for your family. You can't be more all in than that. But the way you get your people to act like an owner is when they bring you that idea that they've really thought through. And then you look at them and say, hey, if you own this business, if this was your candy store, would you write the check? And when they look at you and say, yes, you pretty much got a person that's going to kill themselves to try to make that thing be successful. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's excellent. Now, one of my absolute favorite things is, is finding great talent and, and growing them as people, right? What, what's sort of been your best sort of recruitment ways or tips or what, what's the best thing you've done to find great talent in the business you work with? Well, I think it, I think it starts with the values and ethics and making sure that who you are, what you stand for, what are the things that you won't compromise kind of match up with that inside the organization. And I think that's so important. I think that as individuals, as we're looking for a job or entering into the, the job market, I think it's important to take that moment to think about that for yourself. Who am I? What do I stand for? And what are the things I won't compromise as a person? And then organizations need to have 
those types of things articulated and laid out. Now, many companies have that in their values and mission statements. And as you know, they're posted all over every cafeteria and every big business. But you and I both know companies that have got themselves in trouble. And of course, number, the question number three is what will we compromise? What's compromised? Whether it's values, integrity, safety, whatever those things could be. And I think I always, when I, when I talk to an individual, I always ask them those questions. Well, who are you? you know, tell me who you are. What are the things that you stand for? And what are the things that you won't compromise? And so it's interesting. And sometimes it takes them back a little bit. And, and then I always say to them, and feel free now, you can ask me that question. And so I'll tell them, you know, this is what our organization, this is who we are as an organization, and this is what we stand for. And these are things we won't uh, compromise. And, and what, what I'm trying to get them to see is that they have a brand and a brand promise as a person. And we have a brand and a brand promise as a company. And if those two kind of match up or you feel comfortable in that, then you're, you're going to feel like you fit. It's kind of like when you go to a meeting of a nationwide or worldwide company and you meet people in this meeting for the first time. And after a few hours, you say, hey, I feel like I've known this person my whole life. Well, you just met them, but you match up values ethically. You match up as individuals, as core, uh, as part of your core. And so you, you feel like you know them your whole life. And so that's what you're trying to find. You can train people, teach people. You can give them the confidence. You can have them have some successes. But I think at their core, they have to fit in the values and the ethics of what you're trying to accomplish as an organization. And when they feel like it's compromised, then they feel you know, I don't, I don't fit. Something doesn't feel right. It's kind of like when, it, when the kids go to college, you know, they look at their different schools. I always, you know, you always tell your kids, Hey, look, make sure you feel like, you know, like when my kids would go for sports. All right. You want to, you know, you're being recruited to be a hockey player, but if for some reason you're not going to make it on the hockey team or you get hurt and you can't play hockey anymore, do you still want to be at this college? And if the answer is no, then pick the college that you can play, but also feel like you belong. I like that. That's uh yeah, that's excellent advice. And I, I think high level, like I, I always personally like working with people who come from various backgrounds. And I, I really believe in having very diverse teams, right? Because I think I think it just it brings lots of power to to a to a business to have people who come from different diversities and so on. But but I really like the way you're you're saying that in terms of making sure the values I mean I, I always think fundamental when you're when you're recruiting you're you're always looking for values, right? But but the way you also describe it makes makes a ton of sense. So that's great. Oh, thank you. What about um from a, probably the biggest challenge most most of the business owners I work with have is is around delegation right and and sort of learning that whole lot of delegation and and doing that effectively any particular sort of hints or tips for for the audience around that well yeah i i think it starts with you as the individual who's going to be allowing you know delegating or allowing people to get this additional responsibility and the authority that goes with that i think that's the first step right you have to understand that as the person that's going to begin delegating so i'm the new i'm the business owner and now i'm going from a, sole proprietors, I'm going to add, I'm going to add that first, you know, I'm going to add that first, you know, employee, right. And that's a big first step, obviously. And so I would say that the first thing I have to do is it starts with me as the owner saying, okay, well, what is it? What's the responsibility I'm delegating? And am I comfortable delegating that responsibility? And then what's the authority that goes with that? 
And then that begins the process of laying that out. And then there's a communication piece. So I need to make sure that the person I'm delegating to understands their roles and responsibility. They understand, you know, the, the depth and breadth of their responsibility. And then more importantly, they have to understand that I'm, I know they're going to make mistakes, make them small, make them fast, move on. Cause let's face it, you and I, in our leadership roles, make mistakes. There's no doubt about that. So to think that they're never going to make a mistake is, is not logical or not possible. And we're, look, we, we got to where we are in our journeys as individuals making mistakes. Our best lessons were through mistakes. So make them small, make them fast, move on. And they, they have to know that I'm going to support them as a leader through those mistakes. So I think that first soul search is me as the owner laying this out saying, okay, this is the responsibility I'm going to give them. This is the authority I feel comfortable giving them. And then I know they're going to make some mistakes, you know, make them small, make them fast. And let's, let's talk about it. And then I think you begin that process. And then I think the one of the things that's so important is you try to get them a success, right? You're trying to, you know, as you're giving them this responsibility, you're saying, okay, we got to get a success. Sometimes you Frankly, sometimes you, you know, you pad the success a little bit, you get them with success that you almost kind of figure out how you're going to get that success, but you get them that success. And so I think that once they get that success, maybe as a sales person, as a sales training person, you know, that customer that is 85, 90% ready to, to, to make the sale happen. So that's the first person you send them to and they come back, Hey, it happened. I got the success. And you know, and you know that they were close enough anyway, but you want them to have that feeling of success that I can get that done, that it's okay for me, you know, and then that I can do this. And so I think that's kind of the process. I think that really starts to happen and you start to expand maybe their responsibility and their authority. And then you start to feel you, they feel good about themselves and you feel good about them. Yep. Totally agree. Totally agree. I like that. That was excellent, Rocky. Thank you very much for joining me today. If people are eager to get hold of you, or you mentioned your book as well, so I'll make sure we link to that in the show notes as well. What, what's the best way to contact you? Well, thank you very much for asking. And I absolutely enjoyed our conversation. And I want to thank you for being a, such a well-prepared and thoughtful host. So thank you, sir, very much for that. Uh, my website is www. It's the number three and the word 60, S-I-X-T-Y, managementservices.com. Very interactive. People communicate with me on our contact me page, and I, I respond personally back to those as well. There's uh, over 85 podcasts. Uh, I've, been, I've been interviewed over 100 times in the last year, whether it's a podcast like yours or, uh, or live radio and and uh, internet TV and radio. And so I post up all, I'll post ours up on my website as well. I'm on SoundCloud, I'm on Spotify. Uh, so that's some of the best ways to interact with me. The book is, is called Tighten the Lug Nuts. There's actually a website for it, www.tightenthelugnuts.com. It's an Amazon five-star uh, best-selling book. And so we're doing well and I enjoy it. Uh, and also we donate a dollar every book sold to the Jimmy Valvano Fund. Jimmy V was a legendary coach who passed away from cancer. Uh, and so there's a foundation set up for him. And so we donate a dollar to that, to that fund uh, to, as a way of giving back. So there's uh, over 45 videos, uh, podcast, I mean, uh, YouTube videos on the site. So it's interactive. It's designed to be a entertaining, but educational website that you can have fun. And I think you'll enjoy the book because it's written with all the stories and written with a lot of uh, 
and each chapter, although it's part of a story, can stand alone as a as almost a workbook for for you as a, in, inside of your business today. So, and my uh, email address is Rocky Romanella R O C K Y Romanella R O M A N E L L A at gmail.com if you'd like to communicate with me. Awesome. Thank you very much, Rocky. I'll get all that added in the show notes. So thank you again for joining me today. It was awesome talking with you. Well, thank you, sir. Be safe. And it was my pleasure. And thanks again for uh, such a wonderful, thoughtful conversation. Thank you. Excellent. And to all the listeners, you will hear me again next week. If you want to learn more about effective management, head over to mattsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.